Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. The U.S. played to a 1-1 draw with Chile on Thursday night, and the match is actually kind of hard to summarize. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. We were missing Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams, and Christian Pulisic came off for reportedly precautionary reasons after a half hour. The Trinity left us in Houston. <laughs> Overall, the Trinity having... ascended. The Trinity ascended, I believe. Oh, man, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if they did ascend. <laughs> But anyway, overall, how'd you feel about the game? Um, it was I, I was actually Bells. I was actually eager to watch it. I was uh, I, I knew it was going to be kind of an underwhelming lineup, but I was very interested interested to see how sort of an underwhelming lineup that had had several weeks in in training in January uh, to learn the system was going to perform. I think a lot of us felt that this is not our best uh, group of players, uh, our best group of talent. Right. Um, so it was it, for me. It was kind of an experiment to see if 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 that was correct, or if if Berhalter could somehow shape uh, a bunch of decent players into into a team that could control the game the way Berhalter wants to control the game. Yeah, and the answer is no. I mean, we didn't control the game. Not at all. No, very little control in that game. It's weird though because we could have. We didn't control the game. I mean, Chile controlled the game. I think they had twice the possession we had or completed twice the number of passes we completed. But, uh, you know, we could have we could have stolen a win out of that game. And and it's not like they were just peppering our goal. So I, I don't know. It's, that's why I think it's kind of a hard game to uh, come to conclusions about. But let's let's try to do it anyway. Let's start with <laughs> that's what we're here for. Let's start with the tactics. Uh, my to my eyes, we started in a f- more conventional four one four one. Is that is that what you saw? That's that's how I read it. Yeah, Bradley is the clear number six. Yedlin uh, in a clear, more uh, conventional right back role. The inverted fullback abandoned uh, in the absence of Tyler Adams. Yep. Um, interestingly, abandoned despite Nick Lima being available to fill the role that has been named after him. But Burhalter chose to go with uh, Yedlin in in a, in a sort of a role that Yedlin would be more comfortable in. Yeah, he to- I mean, Burhalter totally threw out the inverted fullback for this game, and then the f- the formation ultimately ended up changing a couple more times later in the game, and we can talk about that later. But okay, just to run through the lineup real quick, uh, the goalkeeper was Ethan Horvath. I think a lot of people were excited to see him back there, and then the back line was Tim Ream, Omar Gonzalez, Matt Miazga, and the aforementioned Yedlin. And then Bradley at the six, Roldan and Pulisic as the dual tens. Roldan as the eight, really Pulisic as a ten. And then Paul Ariola and Corey Baird on the wings, and Jazzy's artists up top. Yes, our constant, our heartbeat, Jazzy's artists. Yes, he he had a pretty decent game. I thought, you know, I'm not sold. I'm not, I wasn't sold on it. I think there was like a, a Bradley effect, and, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, later. But uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be stubborn a little bit on some of this stuff. Fair enough. We need you to be stubborn. We need you're the conscience of the podcast. Okay, so that right. that that four one four one changed quite a bit when uh, Pulisic. Well, Pulisic came off. That affected our threat going forward to a very large degree. And then and then in the fifty six minute, Daniel Lovitz came on for Corey Baird, and Berhalter really started tinkering at this point. I think from what I could tell, we dropped into a five four one. Or you might call it a three-six-one, sort of the a pan, the Panamanian Costa Rican special, right? <laughs> Berhalter has gone full Concacaf. Yeah, and then ten minutes later, uh, Trap came on for Ariola, and we went into what looked to me like a three-four-three with Trap and Bradley in the middle, and then Roldan and Legette. Pushing Ahead of up, them, right? Yeah, pushing up, flanking yeah. Zardis in the front three. One other, one other little wrinkle I noticed earlier. It, it almost came. It came almost uh, shortly after the uh, Chile equalizer. Was that the way we defended changed? I thought from from the more traditional four two two two, and I say traditional in like the Burhalter sense of tradition, um, <laughs> into into what looked to me like a like a four, and then like a flat band of three. Uh, midfielders and then flat three attackers, but the band was a little bit uh, 
uh, rotational, the, the three midfielders, in the sense that on the ball side, um, the near side winger would step up into the line with Zardes and Pulisic. Pulisic and Zardes were sort, sort of always in that front three. And then the near side winger would step up to defend. Uh, and you'd be left with a flat three midfield band of uh, Bradley, Roldan, and the weak side winger. Okay. Um, and I feel like it was an attempt to try to uh, give Bradley a little more help, even though it might seem like you were, you're actually taking a man out of midfield. Um, they, they clustered tightly together and shifted right and left. Okay. Well, let's – should we do the timeline first or should we start talking about – how stuff works. Let's do the timeline and then we can talk about how things worked as we go. That sounds great. Is that all right? So the game started off great for the U.S. Uh, in the fourth minute, Horvath hit a clearance that kind of looped into midfield, came down for Jazzy Zardes. He took it down with a deft touch with the inside of his right foot and that kind of brought it around behind him. And then he tapped it to Pulisic in behind with the outside of his boot, leaving Gary Medell grasping at air. Pulisic runs in on the bouncing ball and chips the keeper for the opening goal. I'm not sure that's how Berhalter drew it up, but <laughs> it was the goal we needed. So can can I give my can I give my uh Jazzy Zardes skepticism right now? Yeah, I mean it's probably a good time because he looked he looked like a king in that moment. That was a nice play. <laughs> It was his best play, um, and it's exactly sort of the thing that we criticize him for not being able to do, which is to combine uh, or, or sort of play in close control quarters. Uh, the thing is, I don't know that this is a great example of him controlling the ball in like a close control situation. Uh, and it's because I don't know what was going on in the Chilean defense's heads, but Maydell, like as the ball was traveling to Pulis or to uh, Zardes from off Horvath's foot, uh, Maydell started dropping off of, off of Zardes's back. Uh, so Zardes's first touch, I, it's hard to tell if he intentionally turned with it or if the ball just sort of, and this is where I'm, I'm clearly being pretty stubborn cause I, I'm confirming my bias about Zardes's touch, but I'm not sure if Zardes was intentionally trapping it to turn or if his touch simply took the ball past him, uh, into open space that Maydell had vacated. Is there, is there, it's a, fair to be skeptical about that. Yeah, it's fair to be skeptical. I mean, it's 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 certainly true that Medell got himself into no man's land there, where he was he was doing neither of the things he could have been doing. Uh, he wasn't tracking Pulisic, and he didn't he wasn't tight to his artist to punish what you are considering to be a loose touch. <laughs> I think you may I be mean. the you may be the only person in America who thought that was a loose touch, but you you could be right. You know, I mean, I don't know. Did Zardis know that Medell was uh, was five yards off him? When he when he took that touch, which kind of you know carried the carried the ball two yards or so towards Medell, I don't know. But what I will say is um, he get Zardes gets full credit for the the next pass. He recognized Medell uh, was in no man's land. Medell then stepped towards Zardes, and Zardes very deliberately uh, looped the ball just into the space behind, knowing that Pulisic had a full head of steam and there was no one who was going to catch him. Right. That Goal. decision was fully intentional and correct and well executed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. A, I mean, there you go, one zero, and it and it felt like, hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll open them up and we'll see a, a Pulisic masterclass. Not to be uh, not not just that, but it was it wasn't just the the opening up Chile. It was like a vindication, sort of in the moment of Pulisic as that ten. Uh, that we never got in the Ecuador game because there was never space for Pulisic to run into. Right. And that was uh, different. That, that was different in this game. There was a lot of space for him. Plenty of space. Uh, that goal was very similar to uh, his opening goal against Panama where the ball came out to Altidore. I don't know if you, if I, if anyone needs to be reminded of our World Cup qualifying cycle, but <laughs> the ball is Altidore where Altidore sort of just lays it off and Pulisic flicks it on to himself and... Uh, just races in behind into that open field. So when we play teams that leave open space behind their center backs, um, a taste of what of what it can look like with Pulisic running running beyond a striker. Right. Yeah. It was it was very similar. Very similar goal. So let's move on to the seventh minute, which is when we got our first taste of what Chile was able to do. Arturo Vidal, the Barcelona midfielder, one of the best players in the world at that position. Um, found a pocket of space between Reem, Bradley, and Omar. 
and just remember those names because it's right in between those three on the left side of our defense in front of the center backs to Bradley's left and Vidal exploited that space repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. He tapped it into the winger behind. This was sort of the first warning shot in the seventh minute. Received the ball in the half turn elegantly, which is what he did all game, and um, and then played his winger in behind. The, the winger crossed it. The cross was dealt with sort of half-heartedly. I think it was by Omar. It might have been Miazga. And then eventually fell to Vidal, who put a speculative shot over from about 20 yards out. So here's... Here's my question to you, Greg. That clearly that pocket of space and Vidal in it was uh, a problem for the U.S. all night, uh, and I'm I can't figure out if it is a tactical problem or a personnel problem. What it's it's gonna be, it's going to be both, and it it still should have been solved, uh, and I think fairly early on, even even right after that moment, like I, that caught my attention immediately. Uh, and I like rewound and watched it over and over again to see like what all the pieces were doing. Um, Omar, as Omar sort of has a tendency to do or had like in the past would, as that play was developing, he was, he was nearest to Vidal. And then for some reason, the ball shifted from the le- left side of the field to the right side before it went into Vidal's feet. Omar just started like backpedaling. Yep. He backpedaled probably like five, six yards. Uh, and he's already in the box when he started backpedaling. So he's just backpedaling into Ethan Horvath. There's no risk of anyone playing a ball over Omar's head there that would be collected by anybody but Ethan Horvath's hands. Uh, I'm not sure what that what is what his decision tree is there to start giving up ground. Um, Bradley, I don't think is in a terrible position there. I think he's discouraging a, a ball that could be played, say, to the inside half of Vidal or that could lead Vidal into the center of the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other guy that comes into play here is probably Paul Ariola. And I'd say he's probably too wide as well. I think if he's pinched in a little tighter to Bradley, uh, that's going to discourage any attempt to sort of split those two. Because the pass does split Bradley and Ariola, I believe. It doesn't feel like a split of those two because Ariola is almost out of the picture. Yeah. Uh, So it seems like just an easy entry pass, and it is a very easy entry pass. But I think either Omar could be tighter to Vidal to to take away some of Vidal's uh, comfort, and Ariola could be tighter to Bradley to discourage the entry pass to begin with. I don't think Reem should be pinched in too far. I think Reem was kind of shifting out wide ahead of time before the ball even got played, shifting out wide to like a, a Chile winger, which is probably he probably doesn't need to go that early. He could stay in closer to cover one and a half players. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a personnel issue in that Omar's tendency is to sag, and it's a tactical issue that just needs to be worked out on the fly between the four of those players. Three of whom are the oldest players on the pitch for the U.S. The the veterans for this squad: Bradley, Gonzalez, and Reem. That's a little disappointing for me that they couldn't they couldn't figure out how to account for and neutralize the best player on the field receiving the ball in essentially zone fourteen. It might it might be a zone just to the side of zone zone fourteen, but still a very dangerous area. So I don't that that's a little frustrating to me that they couldn't put their heads together and sort it out. Yeah, hands down the most frustrating thing for me was the fact that it was our three uh leaders, you know, the the guys who were brought in because they have the experience, they've gone through qualifying cycles and they couldn't figure it out. Uh I'm I'm going to jump way ahead and this one this event I don't think shows up on our timeline, but a similar situation in the 53rd. I mean this pattern repeated over and over Vidal collecting in that space. Yeah. Uh the 53rd minute, like I, I, I just want to bring it up because I watched that this, that sequence over and over again, and it was very similar. But it was like a cross field diagonal ball into Vidal's feet uh, that split Bradley and Roldan as our two center mids. And in the build up to that, you can see Omar and Reem and Bradley, like none of them are working to uh, account for this. And Miazga actually, like the near side center back, who's doing a great job, like checking over his shoulder, recognizes the gap between. Bradley and it was either real Don or legit. I'm not, I don't remember, but Miazga is like pointing it out and calling. Uh, you can, I'm, I, I'm, you can't tell for sure that it's Miazga shouting it, but you can hear him shout. You hear somebody shouting, right, right. Uh, while Miazga is pointing this out to huh. our weak side center mid. And I can only, my assumption is that it's Miazga basically calling legit or rolled on to take two or three steps to his right, uh, to pinch closer to Bradley, to eliminate that split. Um, and it, again, it's where I get into 
Miazga does not need Omar Gonzalez's leadership. Miazga is already playing at a level that I don't think Omar has really played at. Um, but that's that's another topic for well, no, for it's an day. it's an important topic. Is it is it a topic for another day or or is it a topic <laughs> for right now? It's definitely it's a topic for it. Be it could be a topic in in May when the Gold Cup roster is released and we have more leaders on it that hurt us on the field. Like I, I don't want your leadership to come at the expense of on-field quality and competitiveness. <laughs> well, I guess the question is, what, is, what does leadership mean if yes. the three guys who have the most experience can't, you know, can't do something to solve that problem? Let's, let's keep going through the timeline because yes. a minute after that seventh-minute uh, warning shot from Vidal is when Chile scored their goal. And there's a couple, a couple things to criticize here. I mean, we're not. I'm not trying to be overly negative, but I think we're just we're just trying to figure out what happened. Uh, the goal scoring move started actually with both Michael Bradley and Christian Roldan losing physical battles on our right side. It was a throw in that was uh, that was headed towards towards our goal, towards our end line. Um, Bradley Bradley lost the aerial duel, and then Roldan lost the sort of recovery duel, if if you will. And then it's a scramble, and uh, there was a clearance, you know, just all kind of pin ball pinballing all over. A clearance from Miazga that went, I don't know, back to the center, the the top of the center circle. And Zardes and Baird couldn't close down the space; they were just a half second late in both cases. And again, a defender. I think it was. It actually wasn't a defender. It was Pavez, uh, Esteban Pavez finds Vidal's feet in exactly the same place that we just talked about. And then Vidal initiate, you know, he turns and initiates a move into the goal again, sort of the ball pinballs around and there's a, a deflected shot that falls to Oscar Opazo who buries it from a tight angle. I guess it was deflected. It kind of looked like it was deflected, but we never got that sort of back of the goal clear shot, at least on the Univision telecast. So all of a sudden it's one one and we looked we looked pretty messy in that whole sequence not that not that we just got ripped apart but but we just didn't look like we could deal with stuff or win physical battles and again you know Vidal was able to receive the ball in that dangerous spot yeah I, I think you're you're spot on with the the fact that like five or six people just missed out on on winning a battle whether it was Bradley and Roldan in the early uh, throw-in sequence or Zardes and Baird or even once it uh, left Vidal's feet and sort of pinballed in the box. Everyone was just half a step late. And I don't know that anyone necessarily played it wrong. Sometimes that just happens, and that's why soccer's a low-scoring game is because it takes six of those things happening in a row right. uh, to create the chance. I have no idea if Horvath could have done any better because I don't think I saw a good angle of it either. Plus, I was still really caught up in, once again, how easy it was to find Vidal in that space at the top of the box. Like I kept rewinding it, same thing again, to be like, they just did this and now they've done it again. Vidal is their best player and he's receiving it in an incredibly dangerous area, incredibly comfortably. Like there's nothing that's, you're just saying, here, let's let Vidal initiate attacks from the 18-yard line as often as he wants. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I listened to a little bit of the Total Soccer Show breakdown and they, they made the point this morning and they made the point that Vidal is able to receive on the half turn in just the same way that we are asking our tens to do and the way that Pulisic and McKinney couldn't quite accomplish. And that's just, I think Daryl said, that's just the mark of a superior player. You know, he's, uh, he's on, a, he's on another level from everybody in a U.S. shirt and really everybody in a Chile shirt too. Yes. And that's, and that's fair. And there, that's correct about that difference in class. The tactical difference that we should be able to control is that we're at we're trying to get or McKenney and Pulisic receiving in that on that half turn like at the at the edge of the attacking circle like just past half midfield they're getting Vidal the ball in that position at the top of the box and that's that's where it becomes less about class and more about what we're doing incorrectly or what we're allowing or almost we're almost inviting that ball mm. uh, which is crazy pants. <laughs> All right, seventeenth minute. I would. I'm going to move right up to the seventeenth. Yeah, I'd say after the goal, the U.S. was still playing pretty well. You know, aside from these defensive uh, shortcomings that we're talking about, 
we were still we were still getting into the attack. Probably the high point of the match came in that 17th minute, from my perspective, for the U.S. We we had a 23 pass move. I went back and counted uh, all over the back line. Everybody touched it. We were we just sort of gradually built out of the back. Um, Zardis Zardis looked good on, in this sequence. He came back to the ball and um, did a nice bit of hold up play. Miazga did well to take space and eliminate a defender. Um, to try to to try to advance possession, and eventually the ball moved to Yedlin on the right side, right around midfield, and he squared Bradley, who one touched the ball, kind of waist high in behind for Baird, and it was it was a dime, uh, a beautiful pass. Um, Baird rifled it into Pulisic's feet in the box, and Pulisic's and maybe the pass was a little behind him, but Pulisic's touch wasn't great, so it spilled out to Ariel and just kind of fizzled out. But I, I feel like that sort of is, in contrast to our actual goal, that is how Halter drew it up. And um, you want Baird running in behind and crossing on the ground to Pulisic. You want Pulisic receiving the ball inside the box in transition like that. And transition's not even the right word. It was just a moment of, like, unbalance for Jay. Yeah, yep. A good dangerous run for Pulisic to come in uh, sort of after Zardes. So Zardes, I think, took the first uh, defender and then Pulisic was available and the pass hit him and it would have been tough to deal with, but it was there for our best player, uh, which is, yeah, you're trying to create that as often as possible. Um, we did, we did, there was one other event and it wouldn't have been as nice of a full sequence as this. Uh, and I don't even, it might've been Zardes again, where he got a ball over to Pulisic and Pulisic actually then completely destroyed a Chile center back and was just racing in on goal, but he took a really heavy touch. Yep. Yeah. That was a that was a really uh, good moment. I think it was before uh, the, and I, before the one I just mentioned too. Yep, and I'm only, I'm bringing it up because it was again it's it's a heavy touch from our best player. So we put again uh, once again we had put our best player, and I think it was Zardes who played the ball to Pulisic that got him on the run, uh, running at one center back to standing between him and the goal. The more often we can put Pulisic in that position, the better. He does probably need to do better with that control, and I'm sure he would expect to. Yeah, uh, but it's a promising sign that. Uh, we're again, we're putting our very best player in that in that spot. So this whole sequence that you're talking about in the 17th minute, same thing, very, an incredible sequence that puts the ball at the feet of our best player in the 18 yard box in a dangerous area. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't going to be an easy play for Pulisic. Not, and, and I think you're right that his heavy touch on that when he destroyed somebody up the left wing was uh, was more he was more culpable for that than he was for the miscontrol. Yes, definitely. I think that play started with Ariola, Ariola kind of being bracketed by by defenders, and then just sort of fighting his way through and tapping it to Zardes, and then Zardes quickly zipped it out to Pulisic, and Pulisic was on the run. Maybe Pulisic should have squared it to Zardes because they were they kind of had a two on one going down the channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a really good looking long developing run like like almost like that youth soccer look where you're like they have a, half of a field to run into two on one. Yeah, yeah. So I would say after that, things started to not look so good. Chile started to control the game. They were possessing in our half, and and we couldn't play out of the back. I think that was a problem, and at least in my opinion, we really missed John Brooks. John Brooks's composure and passing, um, especially in contrast with Gonzalez. Horvath is also – I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as the resident goalkeeping expert here, but – it doesn't look to me like Horvath is a good fit in a system that is trying, you know, ostensibly trying to play out of the back. 100% agree. Uh, Horvath looked like he had, he's a keeper who doesn't play with his feet very much, who had been told to try to. <laughs> so he'd get it and you could tell he would, he would want to try to hit a pass, but he doesn't have like the confidence and his ability to do it. And so if the window is even a little bit smaller than, than he's comfortable with, uh, he'd hit a long ball. And, and what you kind of get out of that is, despite the fact that he had the hockey assist on the first goal, uh, you kind of get the worst of both worlds because if you, if you know you're going to hit it long, if you're used to doing that, you'll prepare. Your first touch as the ball comes back to you will prepare to hit it long. If you're going to try to play it short, your first touch prepares you to hit it short. So he collects it and keeps the ball somewhat close to him so that he can play a, a nice pass. And then when he's not comfortable hitting the nice pass, uh, he tries to drive a ball long and he's he's not set up to do it. And I don't know if you noticed, but... A lot of his long balls were like 
not going very. I mean, they were they were falling way short of where you expect a professional goalkeeper to be able to put a ball. Yeah, he hit he hit it out of bounds a couple times too, and there was a there was a pass that he he played kind of a hospital ball down the right channel that I think rolled on again. I mean, it's just striking to me when we play these elite. I mean, it's 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 an exaggeration to call Chile an, an elite South American side, but when we play these sort of upper echelon South American sides, we just, we lose almost every physical battle. It's like this whole thing about American athleticism is total baloney. What are we talking about? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know that we want to see, I mean, Arturo Vidal could beat up half our team by himself. <laughs> I love that man. It's, it was in, I really enjoyed watching him specifically uh, while I was trying to keep track of what the U S was doing. Yeah. he, yeah, and so in that case, this this hospital ball from Horvath was just sort of it was like a fifty fifty ball for Roldan and the I think it was the Chilean left back, and of course Roldan gets gets schooled just shoulder to shoulder, loses the battle, and Roldan's not you know Roldan's probably one of the toughest guys on our roster. So anyway, thirty second minute we had one more bright moment. Um, no, not one more. There were a few more after this, but in the thirty second minute. We, we were able to play out of the back. So when we when we were able to eliminate that first line of comp- confrontation from Chile, we did have success. We saw that repeatedly. We just didn't have the hosses to do it most of the time. But in this case, Omar was pinned to the end line. He chipped that line of confrontation and found Roldan, who brought it down in you know acres of space and then played a simple pass to Pulisic, who drove at the defense up the left channel. And and I think did well to release Ariola at the right moment. Uh, Ariola on the left wing whipped a ball in with his left foot. I was impressed with this pass right across the six, and Zardes couldn't quite get to it, and it skipped on through. But it was definitely a dangerous moment. Very very much so. And and what stood out to me in this whole sequence was that Omar pass. I had to rewind it to make sure that it was Omar because I wasn't expecting that out of him. Um, but the the big thing for me is. Uh, I started to wonder if all the times Chile was pressing us and we were really struggling to play out of the back, if we had passes like this available and we couldn't see them watching from home because the the camera wouldn't show Roldan. Like you didn't know who Omar was passing to when he hit it. Mm-hmm. And then and then it, the you know the the camera moves over and it's Roldan in a sea of space. Like he there was nobody around him. Uh it was still it was still a good ball from Omar, don't get me wrong, but if if uh, it made me wonder if we were basically missing uh, opportunities to break the Chile press routinely that would have led to more of these chances. And that's why, that's why we struggled so much to really create in this game. Yeah. Which I think goes back to the point of why, why wasn't John Brooks in this lineup? I mean, he's the guy most capable of seeing those passes and making, I could have made the pass that Omar made to roll on. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about because of how open Roldan was. Yeah, I and, mean, I, and because of your excellent technical ability, I, I might, I might miss it. I might like miss hit it, or I might hit it on the ground. But I would be really pissed at myself if I did. <laughs> yeah, no, it's about having having the ability to have your eyes downfield while you're under the pressure that Chile is putting us under, and I think that's where we struggle. And I think that's where a guy like Brooks would have really helped us. Thirty fourth minute, Reem. Has what has what if what one of his ream per ninety moments? Uh, played a blind hospital ball back to Horvath. That's two hospital balls in one game. Well, how about that? Uh, luckily, the Chilean touch goes out of bounds, and the camera pan, the camera pan immediately to ream, and he looked confused. <laughs> uh, he just looked a little overwhelmed or something. I don't know. It reminded me of how he looked in that uh, qualifier against Costa Rica at Red Bull Arena. Not that anybody I wants mean, to be reminded of that. <laughs> he had he had to just be thinking like again, like seriously, how is this happening again? This never happens to defenders, and I've done it twice in in hundred five days. Yeah, and that's that was a bad minute for us because that's when Pulisic went down with what's reported as a quad injury. I I haven't seen the latest on that, but uh, but the word during the game was that it was precautionary. So he came off, put some ice on his thigh, and we never looked like we were really all that dangerous again after that. And for a while, we looked completely out of sorts defensively. Yes, for a long spell, we looked like uh, like survival mode, just try to keep your head above water. Long spell of that. Yeah. 
we still had some bright spots. There was, there was a nice little combo between Reem and Bradley, and Bradley played his second dime of the game. He drove forward and then hit a diagonal to Baird on the back post. And I have I have this in the notes. Baird scuffed it. <laughs> he scuffed it. This is the scuffed podcast. That's a way. great applause. That's a great applause line. <laughs> he should have done better. Corey should have. <laughs> that was a be- yes. beautiful ball from Bradley. Yeah, Bradley's gonna. Bradley's gonna. Those two passes, that one, and then the uh, the ball into uh, it was to Baird as well, wasn't it? Yes, the it was. Slick combination ball that he put Baird down the line. Those are those two passes are gonna add are basically going to add a dozen call-ups to Bradley's uh, cap total. It's it's an MLS sum conspiracy. He only he only <laughs> plays nice passes to Baird. Um, and then there was a nice little combo between Legette and Ariola in stoppage time of halftime. Uh, Ariola cut it back to Baird at the top of the box, and Baird was promptly dispossessed. Probably doesn't have the left foot to take that first time, which was – also probably his only option at this level because the space evaporated around him. So it's interesting that Baird, you know, I got into a little bit of a debate on Twitter about this. Baird was in good spots. You know, he's repeatedly in good spots. He's, uh, his movement is good. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but, yeah, um, he was in January too, but when he gets in those spots, he is not able to do what he wants to do. Just not no. able to. He didn't do it in January either. Yeah. So maybe it's time to call up Timmy Weah. What do you think? <laughs> oh yes, I'm excited for I'm excited for that, and I will be devastated if we don't see a long list of debutants in June. Greg Berhalter debutants, I should say. Yeah, well, we can talk about that some more. the The only two other like really notable things. I mean, my my interest on the rewatch sort of petered out in the second half, but. We did do that. Those formation changes in the second half, the the five four one when Lovitz came on for Baird, and the three four three when Trap came on ten minutes later. Do you have any any other thoughts on the second half or on the how those formations looked or what that means about Berhalter? Uh, it, it's promising that he that he recognized that we were getting complete like again that we were being uh, swamped, um, and and it was like uh, on a body language level you could see it in the players. Um, and the switch, the, the two switches, the uh, move into the five, four, one, and then later into the three, four, three did get us back on our feet. At least, uh, it's like, it was like, a a boxer who at least gathered himself. He didn't necessarily, we didn't land any, any punches the rest of the way, but we at least gathered ourselves and weren't stumbling. So that's, that's good, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's something. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's clearly tactically flexible. And I think that maybe there was. Some doubt about that. Some doubt that he would be flexible. Okay, let's let's talk about what what we took away from this game. Unless you have anything more from the game action. No, no, I think you do. You do a great job summarizing the game action. I love that you don't just collect the goals. Uh, I, I really think that you capture a lot of the important like moments, uh, whether they end in a goal or not. Awesome. Hey, you should subscribe to the podcast and write a review. <laughs> That's, that is my review. I just did text, voice to text. Okay, good. All right, takeaways. Why don't you start? What are your takeaways? So my takeaway, even before the game, was that we were, you know, my my theory going into this camp, once we heard the roster and I had time to think about it, was that we were trying to integrate our trinity, the Adams, Pulisic, McKenney trinity, and the best way that Burhalter knew how to do that was to use a lot of the January holdovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trinity gets injured or otherwise indisposed. Uh, and what we're left with is just sort of a bunch of January holdovers. So it felt very much like a January roster in March, uh, Miazga and Yedlin notwithstanding. Yeah. For this Chile game, for the Chile game specifically. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's a really a bummer that McKenney McKenney wasn't there with a you know probably a pretty serious injury. He's going to be out for eight weeks at least, and that uh, Adams had to go back to Leipzig. That 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 fact has sort of gone unremarked upon. I'm waiting for U.S. Soccer and Ives to uh, drop a piece on a Tyler Adams' commitment to the U.S. Soccer Federation. You are never gonna get. You are never gonna let that go, are you? No, I'm definitely not. I, I get that we just didn't have a lot to talk about last year, but that was one that just I never understood the the Pulisic uh, questioning of loyalty. So Adams goes back to Leipzig, and I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally fine with Brooks not playing in this game. Um, 
these are friendlies so they are important for Burhalter to get the system sort of in, in place, but the minutes add up for these guys. It's an extra game over the week that they wouldn't play if they were just in their regular season. Uh, I don't want Adams to add 90 more minutes to his legs. I want him to go back to Germany, sort of be rested and resume his role for his club team, which is more important for his long-term development and, uh, and ability to play than this friendly is for the U S yeah. And it's a, it's a long shot, but Leipzig still has a mathematical chance at the Bundesliga championship. And they, they're definitely in the driver's seat for the champions league. So, yep. In the driver's seat, for the champions league, but not like it's not done and dusted. They, they're still going to have to get results and, uh, see the season out. So that's what I want. I'm, I'm glad that Tyler Adams is focusing on that to be frank. Yeah. So what's the silver lining to these guys absences? For, for me, the silver lining was getting this this data on what I sort of considered like very much a B team uh, of personnel. Um, there were times watching that game where after Pulisic left, it's like maybe one of these players is, is first choice 11 uh, out of everybody on the field. Um, I, I honestly Who's think Taylor 12. Who's the one? So in my mind, it would it be Ariola. Uh Legette has a case, but I feel like it gets into where if Legette's in, that might push Pulisic wide, and then Ariola loses his spot. So one of Ariola or Pulisic. Uh, Yedlin probably has a case. Miazga might be able to work his way in, uh, but it seems like Brooks and Long, for now, might be considered one and two in the center back depth chart. So what did you think of? So what did you think of Bradley? What is your takeaway on Bradley? Should he remain the six and Adams play as that inverted fullback? Or, sh- or should we move to Adams at the six? So I I don't, in either case, I don't think Bradley should be the six after this game. And I know that's completely at odds with what most people's takeaway was. It seems like Bradley got glowing reviews from almost everybody. I don't know. I, I might be the only person who didn't enjoy or who didn't think Bradley had a very good game. I mean, I think sort of the the U.S. soccer ivory tower thought he had a good game, but you know the hoi polloi out there on Twitter was, as usual, quite restive with his performance. That's true. Bradley's never going to get a consensus of positive reviews, as he has no matter what he does. There's going to be there's a certain camp that will uh, sort of despise him all the time. I'm not in that camp. I, I really like Michael Bradley. I don't think he had a, a good game at all, and I. I don't think that his two dimes that he dropped make up for it. Uh, yeah. That 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 pattern of Vidal getting the ball in space for me has to be at least partially on Michael Bradley. And and then the next layer of that is every time they found Vidal in space behind Bradley, uh, the Chile center midfielders would then race in behind like to join the attack, and they always just like waltz right past Bradley off of the ball. So it wasn't just that we allowed that pass into Vidal. It was the next movement as well. And I thought Bradley did a really poor job uh, of then contributing to the next sort of uh, phase of defending. So I thought, like, from in my mind, those sort of qualify as howlers for number six. And no number of recoveries or those two dimes are going to make up for like five or six defensive howlers. Yeah, and I think even his his greatest defenders would admit that he is not, you know, he's not much of a obstacle 1v1 anymore. He's, you know, he can he can he can find the right angles, he can he can direct a ball carrying player in a certain direction, but if it's a 1v1, he's going to he's going to lose it. So the, if he gets stuck in those scrambling situations, it's not his forte. So he has to he has to be able to sort that out. Otherwise, his weaknesses are amplified. You know, he has to sort out that that Vidal thing, or his or his weaknesses are amplified. Yeah, and and he got he did get like straight pantsed a couple of times uh, in like one v one situations. Um, he he threw like a couple of kind of cheap fouls out there uh, towards the end of the game, and one of them was in a position where it's sort of okay to do that way away from the goal. The other one was probably. Uh, 30 yards out at a slight angle that where Chile wasn't in a threatening position. So the referee could have given him a, a set piece right there. Just, just things like that. And uh, I was surprised when I sort of got back onto Twitter and saw all of the uh, positive reaction he was getting. And so I'm very much going to have to 
um, rewatch specifically for him because uh, I was ready to do like a Kenny Seff style thread, Kenny Seff versus Columbia, where it was like, look at all these times that they just get behind him and how that can't happen if you're in a four one four one with Michael Brett with with your lone six just getting uh, ignored. I mean, Chile just ignored him and just went right past him. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you, I start thinking about that would never happen with Tyler Adams in the game. I don't even know if it would have happened with Will Trapp in the game. It might not have. Well, that that uh, video thread you're working on is due at noon on Thursday. <laughs> I'll, I will I will also be sure that if there are a bunch of positive things that I just wasn't seeing, that it'll reflect that, and I'll I will gladly uh, work on my apology. Your your thread, as usual, will be so fair and balanced that only like only like 17 people will give it a like because it doesn't uh, <laughs> cuz it doesn't it doesn't either confirm their priors or or <laughs> nobody nobody ever a... knows if I if I thought a guy was good or if I thought <laughs> right <laughs> you get both sides mad at you and happy with you at the same time all right we got let's run through the other takeaways what do you i think you want to talk about Fabian Fabian Johnson take it away yeah yeah i definitely do I, Fabian and a couple other guys who who weren't called up to this camp you know, Fabian was omitted, but Berhalter addressed it specifically at the press conference at the sort of a roster announcement and said that Fabian's just cutting it close age-wise to be a fullback. He was, he was specific about center backs and goalkeepers can play into old age, yep. but for fullbacks, it's a little it's a little tougher, which, you know, fair play. I think that's true. Um, but then he comes out and plays Tim Ream at fullback in both games, and Tim Ream is two months older than Fabian Johnson. Uh, hmm. Ream, Ream didn't have stellar performances i would say so it's one of those things where if if you were hoping for a fabian revival uh you're probably still hoping for that fabian revival and i very much am for the gold cup yeah i mean we talked about ream after the last game where he his his air his rate of aerial duel winning was somewhere close to zero and and you know i don't i didn't see anything in terms of line breaking passes or composure on the ball to make up for it, because that's the to make up for sort of the defensive susceptibility that he seems to present for us, and I thought that was kind of the the strength of Reem that he was polished on the ball, one of the better passers among our central defenders in the whole pool. But I didn't, I don't feel like we saw a lot of that. There's so in a either game, moments. right? Not just yeah. not just in the Chile game, but either in the Ecuador game uh, either. I mean, he set up Zardes for the goal in Ecuador. But again, I don't think it was a terribly difficult ball to, to hit. No, it wasn't. So I guess, as Clint, Clint Dempsey said about Weston McKinney, prayers for the young bull, <laughs> Weston McKinney. Prayers for the old bull, Fabian Johnson. <laughs> yeah, be- best case is, like, in the discussion he had with Burhalter, he said, listen, I'm 31. I'm fighting for minutes on a team fighting for a Champions League spot. How about you leave me out of this March camp where you're just going to have four days to work with everyone? Get me in for June for the for the full sort of treatment and and I'll help us win that gold cup. Yeah, I'm afraid we may just be tilting at windmills on this, but I <laughs> I agree with you. No one else seems to be. If there were other guys who I thought would would be able to do that job that Burhalter wants, I wouldn't be you know angling for a 31 year old either. But it's really difficult to to come up with even a short list of. Guys who really fit that. I mean, other than moving other center backs, like being like, I well, maybe Aaron Long could do it, or maybe maybe we call Matt Beasler back to do it. Uh, we don't have a lot of uh, left fullbacks to begin with, and then when you change what their role is, a lot of them sort of get neutralized even farther. So, yeah. please, please, Fabian revival. Uh, yep, Anthony Robinson, I guess, looked pretty good in the U twenty three match, the most recent one. Um, but also had his moments. I don't. I don't know if he's. He's definitely not on Fabian's level. I think that's fair to say. All right. For, for straight for straight composure on the ball, I feel like Fabian's going to be the best. The best candidate. Yeah, and also defensive sort of responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. Sergeant and Wea. You know, we were both disappointed initially that they weren't in this camp, and and then we we softened on that stance. How are you feeling about that now? Um, I think the case for Sergeant Wea has only gotten stronger. I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to give Zardes the same treatment I'm giving Bradley because while he was in, very involved and he had the moment uh, that set up Pulisic for the goal, I didn't think that he was somehow all of a sudden like this extremely clean, tidy player. 
Uh, I think he was tidier than people expect Zardes to be, but those are that's a that's a different thing entirely. So I still think that you know you introduce Sargent into this system, you introduce Wea into the system, and you upgrade. Uh, I think in a pretty significant way from from the players that were at Berhalter's disposal uh, yet last night. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't agree with you that Zardis was that. I don't think you're going to go back and find a lot of Zardis mistakes in this game. You'll there was a, there was a one really poor touch um, coming back to the to, towards his own goal where he just kind of popped it up uh, as a sort of a free ball for anybody who would take it right in front of the 18. That was bad, no doubt about it. I think, I think that was his only really bad moment, and he was involved in you know some several of those moves we discussed in the timeline, not just the goal. Yeah, yep. He's definitely going to have. He's going to have. You know, if I do his art as treatment as well, he's going to have several positive plays. Uh, so, so I guess my my reasoning is this: uh, I do believe in sort of Burhalter's system. I think it's I think it's good. I think it sort of amplifies player strengths. It's like a force multiplier. Uh, and it kind of sets a floor for how effective his his personnel can be. Like no one, look, I, I still don't think anyone looked terrible last night. Do you? No. So, um, so I, I maybe Reem. I mean, Reem terrible is too strong, but Reem was not great. All right. So, but no one. Uh, I'm thinking like in the way that uh, Anthony Robinson sort of had his had his game against Brazil, where mm. it was like, oh, that poor guy. Like no one's getting that exposed. I no, don't think. No, definitely not. Uh, so I think the system is, is, is important for, for doing that, but I feel like a lot of the guys, uh, so if you have the system that sets this floor, a few of the guys at least aren't really showing very far above that floor. Like the floor is really holding them up. Yeah. Uh, and that'd be for me, guys like Baird and Roldan. Uh, so unless you think Roldan and Baird are instrumental to the system functioning, uh, then suddenly you have guys like Wea or a Dwayne Holmes to check out who might be able to do a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I, I still really want to see Dwayne Holmes in, in the U S shirt in this system. I think it would, I think it could be great. Yes. And, and that one with Holmes, it's, it's at the moment, at least sort of pure, more pure speculation with Sergeant Wea, we've seen them look exceedingly confident in the U S shirt, despite the lack of, of any kind of a system during the Saracen era, let alone this sort of, uh, sophisticated world beating system that Burhalter has devised. Yeah, they, uh, Sergeant had his best game in a U.S. shirt in the middle of the tactical famine of the Saracen era. You know that so, game so against Peru. Yeah, so that's where and and even in that Peru game, I got to throw in Jonathan Amon's name too again because he had a, as many key positive moments as as sort of Baird has had uh, with a little bit more. I still call it end product, even though they didn't necessarily result in goals. They resulted in these real. Uh, concrete chances. Um, yeah. And again, without any benefit of what Burhalter is designed to put these guys in optimal attacking positions. Agree to agree. Let's bring in Sergeant and Wea. Even though I don't think either of them covered himself in glory in the U23 mm-hmm. matches. But yeah, I, I mean, so some people might say that. And uh, I guess my, my response to that would be, well, you know, the, their coach was hired a day before the game and uh, <laughs> who knows, who knows what they, what that was like in the locker room and, 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 prep and for the game. That was, that's another case too, of all of those guys, every guy in that camp other than uh, Georgie, I think would have had like four, four days in the system, four days of training in the system. Mm-hmm. Whereas all these January camp holdovers who, who just got to play in this window for the senior team, they've been in it for three weeks. So if they're still three weeks plus now at this additional camp, if they're still just hovering at that level of the floor, uh, we've got, we've got to be able to try to find some upgrades because, uh, 12 I think summed it up best actually is we didn't see anything in this game that we haven't been seeing for the last four or five years. Uh, I think that's sort of the biggest indictment of that particular group of players where, uh, it was very much a, we didn't have any of the Burhalter possession to unbalance. It was, it was like survival mode yeah. and scrap, scrap your way to a result. Yeah. And they did, they did it, but that's not sort of what Burhalter's. I don't want to say he's promising. That's not what Burhalter wants. Burhalter doesn't want to get results that way. That's not what he's, his objective is. No. 
And I, I guess we should say kudos to the whole team because, like I said at the top, it's not like it's not like Chile had dozens of clear-cut chances that they just didn't finish. We, they did dominate possession, but we, you know, we were we were pretty well organized at the back, which is something you could not say for us uh, in you know in World Cup qualifying or necessarily under Sarikin. So that's a positive. Uh, I'll I'll have I'll take a little bit of issue with well well organized. I thought we were I thought we like uh, I, I, again I'd say we scrapped through uh, gaps in organization for for like a twenty five minute span, and then I think it got sort of solved a little bit. Uh, but you are you are absolutely right. It's not like Ethan Horvath was standing on his head the way he had to yeah uh, in his last call up or the way that Stefan did against France for our one one draw against France. Uh, I actually don't remember a, an Ethan Horvath save in this game. Yeah, there was one shot that went right at him from just outside okay. the box that yes. I that I remember. Skipped, uh, so, I think maybe skipped on the ground right in front of him. Maybe, yeah, it was hit pretty well, but right at him. Uh, yeah, so well organized in my opinion, with the exception of uh, Reem, Omar, and Bradley not really accounting for or solving the Arturo Vidal issue. Which brings us to uh, our last takeaway, I believe what's your what's your latest view on the whole leadership thing leadership with bradley and omar and i guess well, Tim we, Ream. yeah we, we kind of touched on it like i just i just can't buy it as a reason to to get guys on the field i still think it's like omar's role uh in this camp should have been more like a like like he'll give sort of a, a talk like almost like he's a guest speaker or he's like the keynote speaker <laughs> to say <laughs> like in the locker room to have him young rip a phone book in half. But yeah, but even that's a stretch. Like he's doing stuff that if a U20 was doing it, we'd be like, oh, the, these guys are just inexperienced. They're making mistakes that, that young kids make. Like Omar got caught out on a throw in because he stopped that. paying attention to the game. Yeah. And they just whipped a ball into a guy who was essentially in on goal. It's like, you're the, you're the veteran. You're supposed to be, you're in here for leadership. I think Burhalter specifically said that that's one of the reasons that you get called in. And you're making a mistake that would be unacceptable at like a U18 game. And there are a lot of people out there in the in the soccer sphere who would say, if a U20 did something like that, would say, see, they're not ready. Yeah, you play your kids in an MLS game and they make that mistake and they get the hook for a year. They're back down in the USL. Life ain't fair. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just see it as like you call in Omar for leadership. You're like you're like a you're like a. It's it's like a Google just brings in a sixty year old who used to be a middle manager at Atari to, to lead their coding team. Like the games, the games changed a lot. Uh, Miazka's seeing different things, like seeing things that Omar probably never had to, and Omar was never at the top of his game even even before. So he was never at the top of the game, I should say. I mean, he it it does the, that leadership just I don't think it holds up. Yeah. Okay. I think we could keep on talking about this. There's a lot more to talk about, a lot more to sort of project forward into June, but we better wrap it but up. But I've got to get I've got to get working on my on my videos, and I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong about Bradley uh, and Zardes, but some of those things, like the the laps, some of those lapses stood out to me more than the than the dimes Bradley dropped. So I'll get to work on that. Well, we were certainly easy to play through in the middle, and I don't think it's it takes a rocket scientist to see that that would that whole path would become much tougher for the opponent if Tyler Adams were on the field. Anywho, that's it from us for today. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Greg. We'll see you.